You are Locked On A's. Your daily Oakland A's podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. How's it going, A's fans, and welcome to episode 202 of the Locked On A's podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host, noted baseball fan, Jason Burke, and on today's show, Henry Aaron passed away on Friday morning, so I did some research into his career since he came before my time, and today I'm going to share with you some of the little tidbits that I found and found interesting about him, share some about his life and all that stuff, but before I get into all that, please make sure to follow us on social media at Locked On A's on Twitter and Instagram. I am at by Jason B on Twitter. And if you have any questions for us, please send those to LockedOnAthletics at gmail.com. So before I get started, I do want to be upfront with you guys. Henry Aaron retired a decade before I was born, so I never got to watch him play. Of course, I've seen the home run that broke Babe Ruth's record a bunch of times, and there's still a part of me that considers him baseball's home run king because uh, shots fired at Barry Bonds. Um, and usually I don't read about players that have passed because they were before my time. I'm like, oh yeah, I know Tom Seaver. And then you pick stuff up, uh, you know, through osmosis. You just hear about it and whatnot. I don't usually go seeking out that kind of information. But after seeing the outpouring of love for Henry Aaron and the reminder that he was receiving death threats when he approached Ruth's record really made me want to learn a little bit more about him and about his career. So I did do some research on Henry Aaron because there have been uh, nine other Hall of Famers, I believe it's nine, uh, that have passed away in like the last year or so. And I haven't talked about any of them on the podcast because, you know, at, for reasons that I just said, but Henry Aaron's different because he is my home run king. So let's get right into it. And obviously let's start with that home run and uh, just a couple of quick tidbits on that record-breaking home run. Uh, one, Bill Buckner was playing left field for the Dodgers that day, and that home run sailed over his head. Obviously, this is not the last memorable moment that Bill Buckner would be involved in, so uh, moving on. Uh, the, the next thing is that, that those two kids that hopped over the fence to congratulate the hammer as he rounded the bases, given the situation and everything that had been going on leading up to him hitting that home run, the death threats, all of that stuff, uh, that, that's a really scary moments for him, for me watching that, even though I've seen it a bunch of times, because uh, you, don't, you don't know what their intention is. And it turned out okay. They just wanted to slap him on the back and be like, yeah, go Hank Aaron and all that stuff. And uh, he basically said, this could have gone so much worse. But, you know, they've hung out and stuff uh, in the years since uh, he hit that home run in 1974. Um, and he, he was recalling this in 2010 for like the Washington Post or something like that. And he was like, yeah, that could have gone so much worse. But I'm glad that it ended like it did. So that was nice. And uh, there was a piece in the L.A. Times that I found that was published in 1974, but I read it today. Uh, they they reposted it because, you know, that's what newspapers do uh, when somebody dies is they're like, hey, remember this thing? Um, and this is from the L.A. Times. And it was just saying that 24 hours after breaking the Babes record, billboards around the park in Atlanta were already publicizing upcoming events like the dog show or something. And uh, the L.A. Times asked for his reaction about him not getting more fanfare. And he said, I feel great. Uh, I feel relaxed for the first time in over a year. The average person just doesn't understand what a nightmare this has been. And then he got diplomatic and he's like, 
all winter living with it, the same riders, the same questions, all winter, all spring. He definitely meant the death threats and the racism, like the added racism to being Henry Aaron in Georgia. But yeah, he was like, yeah, I'm just getting tired of answering all these questions. Mm. Uh, he ended it with saying, I'm glad it happened and I'm glad that it's over. And I think that he gets some of that uh, Martin Luther King Jr. treatment where nowadays we're like, oh, what an American hero. He was amazing. Everything was great. Everybody loved him. And that is not the case at all. Martin Luther King Jr. was hated by everybody. Uh, I mean, you know, the racists and stuff. Uh, same thing with Henry Aaron. But now we, we kind of whitewash that stuff and uh, tell a different story about ourselves because we're wonderful. And uh, that's not always the case. We have to look in the mirror sometimes. And Henry Aaron just did everything with grace. But it was definitely not easy for him like some uh, baseball writers would want you to believe today. And uh, it's a little bit ridiculous, but uh, by all accounts, he sounds like a great man and a great baseball player. And that's why I wanted to talk a little bit about him today. And after reading about him a little bit, I did go over to his baseball reference page just because, you know, I'm like, hey, it's going to say like oh, he had a bunch of home runs, but it had more than that. <laughs> Obviously, it did have the 755 for his career home run total, but he never hit more than 47 home runs in a season, which I did not know. He didn't have that big outlier season, but he also didn't have like really crappy years until the very end in where he didn't hit more than 20 home runs. So he was just averaging 37 home runs a year for 23 years. And that is ridiculous. And the only times that he didn't hit at least 20 home runs were in his first season back in 1954 as a 20 year old, he got 500 plate appearances. So he played a mostly full season. And uh, then the last two seasons of his career at ages 41 and 42, those were the only times he did not hit 20 home runs. And that is just impressive consistency. It, it, I, it's mind-boggling consistency. I don't know that uh, Albert Pujols put together like eight good years. Then he was done. Henry Aaron, 23 years. That's the difference right there. Um, he has the most total bases in history with 6,856, and that is over 700 more bases than Stan Musial, who is second on the list. So, uh, obviously he played one more year than Stan the man, but you know, 700 bases, that's a lot of bases. Uh, he also leads the way in RBI or runs batted in with 2,297, which is 183 more than Babe Ruth. And obviously I could go on where he ranks in certain things, but because of his longevity and his career uh, length, at least, um, I, I didn't want to go with his career rankings because he played more seasons and I want to be fair. So what I want to focus on here is the era that he played in and just his dominance in that specific era. If you're looking at career totals from that basic uh time frame that he was playing. It's basically him and Willie Mays. Those are the two guys. Those are the two best hitters in baseball. And, uh, you know, that shouldn't come as a big surprise, but those were the two main guys. And what I do want to focus on here is he played into all those years leading up to the mound being lowered before the 1969 season. The year of the pitcher was during the height of Henry Aaron. And, uh, so I want to go over his stats from between 1954 when he debuted and then 1968, the last season before the mound got lowered. And in that span, he averaged 34 home runs a season, 108 RBI, a 314 batting average, and a 933 OPS. That's ridiculous. He was that damn good that he was a 933 OPS just on average for over the course of what, uh, 14 years, 15 years. Maybe 15 seasons. Uh, there, 
math is weird sometimes. Anyways, um, yeah, this is during the year of the pitcher and all the stuff that led up to the mound being lowered. He was having a 933 OPS. And obviously not everybody was at the level of Bob Gibson who held him to a 701 OPS, but he, he did okay against some of the best pitchers of the same era. So Bob Gibson, 701 OPS against Tom Seaver, 704. They're both in the Hall of Fame. Then you got Fergie Jenkins. He had a 768 OPS against Fergie Jenkins. And that rounds out the legends that did, quote-unquote, well against him. Uh, Juan Marichal gave up an 820 OPS. Then you got Dine Drysdale at 925. And Sandy Koufax, one of my favorites of that era, uh, if I'm being honest, he he really got hit around against (laughs) hammering Hank Aaron for a 1077 OPS. Um, yeah, he was really, really damn good. Um, and just because I went over how he did against some legends, I was like, Hey, who did the best against him? Hank Aaron. And it's Jim Brosnan of the Reds, Cubs, and Cardinals. And I have no idea who the hell that guy is, but he held Hank Aaron to a 160 batting average and a 370 OPS in 53 plate appearances, arguably having the most success against one of the best hitters of the era in any sort of a real sample size. There was a bunch of guys that had him like over two or something like that. And that, no, uh, I, I wanted at least 50 plate appearances and Jim Brosnan was the best. Uh, he had glasses and a red hat. It was silly. His picture on baseball reference, not flattering. <laughs> so because of all this and his success in this specific era, I came up with a little bit of a theory and, uh, my, my working theory as to how Aaron continued to produce offensively until he hit the age of 40, he fell off a little bit in 41 and 42, but up until the age of 40, my theory with literally no scientific research done whatsoever. It's just like, hey, maybe this is how it happened. Um, Is that when the mound was lowered for the 1969 season, when Aaron was entering his age 35 season, that actually made hitting a little bit easier for him, even if his physical skills were declining. So uh, that's my working theory. So instead of his skills diminishing like they would have, you know, in general with age and, you know, just regular aging and diminishing and all those things. Uh, it actually made it easier for him because he was already a really good hitter. Uh, he was one of the two best hitters of the year. And then they made it easier for him and everybody else in baseball, uh, by lowering that mound. And I think that that kind of helped him in those last five years. It helped him reach the 714 from Babe Ruth. And it's kind of like, it's not the equivalent of taking steroids by any means, but Barry Bonds got that little bit of a boost later in his career. He was able to recover and do all those Barry Bonds things because of steroids. But uh, maybe lowering the mound was Hank Aaron's version of being able to stave off father time for just a couple more years and keep accruing those stats at a good at a good clip right there. So uh, that's my working theory because pitchers were already having a hard time against them. And then they pl- the playing field got a little bit closer because they lowered the mound. You get it? Um, yeah, so that's my working theory. Let me know what you guys think at Locked On A's on Twitter. I'm at ByJasonB on Twitter. Um, yeah, and if you're looking for Henry Aaron stories or you know you want to live relive some uh, some memories or something like that, head on over to Locked On MLB and listen to Sully. Uh, I'm not supposed to plug his show today, but I am because uh, we had a Zoom call today, just a quick meeting about you know what's going on with the network. And uh, he had some good memories and stats about Henry Aaron that were you know fun and whatnot. 
out. So if that's more of what you're looking for, uh, Sully, he's a, a walking baseball encyclopedia, as the uh, the copy for that show says. Uh, go listen to Sully at Locked On MLB. I'm sure that he's got some good stories up by now. So uh, yeah, that is it. That, that is all that I have on Henry Aaron. But uh, coming up on today's show, I'm going to be talking about baseball journalism's no good, very bad offseason. So stay locked in with Locked On A's and I'll be right back. If you're excited for the championship round of the NFL playoffs this weekend, there is only one place that has you covered and one place that we trust, and that is betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use promo code LOCKEDON for your 50% welcome bonus. The big game that I'm going to talk about today, you got the Kansas City Chiefs against the Buffalo Bills. The line has the Chiefs giving up three points, which feels like it's not that much. Uh, The Packers are also favored by three points. Um, but the Chiefs, I felt like they were going to get a bump once Patrick Mahomes was taken out of concussion protocol, but that line has stayed steady. So maybe take a bet on that one. Also, I don't know enough about football to be like, yeah, that's that's the game. That's what I'm going to bet on. Uh, they got them at uh, minus 126 as well. So if you want to go with that, get, get the three points at uh, minus 126. It's a decent little wager that you can put on there and uh, make a little bit of money if you feel good about their chances. So don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get into the action and don't forget to use that promo code locked on to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Today's show is also brought to you guys by rockauto.com, and they are a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or your daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brand, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right, locked on in there. How did you hear about us box and let them know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com Get more of the sports news you need in less time with our new Locked On Today podcast. Peter Bukowski hosts Locked On Today, a daily podcast breaking down the biggest stories with analysis from our local experts. That's me. Start your day with all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes. Subscribe to Locked On Today wherever you get podcasts. And uh, this isn't in the copy, but uh, this one starts up on Monday. It's a brand new adventure that they're doing. Uh, We're trying to build it up. So uh, go ahead, hit subscribe and listen to Locked On Today and get all of the sports news you need. The ideas behind it uh, that they've been telling us about, uh, it sounds like a really cool idea and i'm very excited to give this one a shot so uh join me subscribing and listening to the locked on today podcast starting on monday welcome back to the locked on a's podcast if you guys are enjoying the show make sure to subscribe wherever you like hearing podcasts also uh i know that i feel low energy today uh still getting over the cold and whatnot uh, my voice sounds bad but uh the energy is here it's just not coming through my voice so i apologize for that uh also follow us on social media at locked on a's on twitter and instagram i am it by jason v on twitter and if you guys have any uh questions for us please send those to locked on athletics at gmail.com uh so Let's let's get into it. It's been a bad week for baseball journalists. 
first. Ken Rosenthal got a couple of details wrong in his reporting with contract length and all that stuff. And then there was he was duped by the uh, the whole Michael Brantley ordeal. So his facts have been off a little bit uh, throughout the course of the week. And then on Friday, Jeff Passan's phrasing in his Henry Aaron post got him dragged on Twitter for a couple of hours. Uh, basically saying that, you know, he, he just moved past the racism and it never affected him whatsoever. Uh, th- there was a bunch. I think that, that's the one that he had. And people were like, no, no, it affected him. It, it's traumatic. Uh, maybe you shouldn't be talking about, you know, all of this stuff. Uh, and then as I was uh, actually writing up this episode, uh, Ken Rosenthal re- released an article. I mean, the article was about, oh, should the Mets still go after Trevor Bauer after he's been a real dick to women on Twitter, given, you know, Jared Porter, this is my take, I'm Ken Rosenthal. And then it kept getting edited, uh, and people kept screenshotting it, and uh, it it seemed to be getting worse, and then he got like a quote from Trevor Bauer talking about his social media. So uh, they're both really stepping in it right now, and these are our two shining beacons of baseball journalism. I guess up next is uh, Bob Nightingale. And uh, I really don't know who's like third in line behind those two guys. So uh, that's fun in terms of, you know, breaking the news and all that stuff. There's a lot of good baseball journalism out there, but that's not what I wanted to actually talk about uh, in this segment here. Uh, The worst, the worst crime, I would say it's it's a big crime. And it came on Thursday when it was reported that a bunch of Hall of Fame voters had been in contact with the Hall of Fame saying that they wanted to change their ballots to not include Schilling anymore. Uh, That's one Curtis Schilling. I think his name's Curtis. Um, It's Kurt, for sure. Kurt Schilling, he of the Red Sox and the Red Sox. Um, (laughs) Anyways, he's been a real uh, cutie patootie on Twitter for years. But uh, then the main one that people are... uh, calling in the quest right right now is uh his he advocated for hanging journalists a few years ago uh you know <laughs> good times remember that it's been two days and uh, everything's better um and he's also been expressing his pleasure with the attempted coup on january 6th which apparently was the final straw for a number of voters and i just think that it's really funny that the the party that was voting for the uh, panthers eat my face party uh, are very surprised at the outcome of voting for the panther who was eating their faces. Strange. Um, so I went in, did some digging over at the Hall of Fame tracker that Ryan Thibodeau collects every year. He does great work over there. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at NotMrTibbs. And on his website, he, uh, I don't know, it was just some random uh, Google sheet, so I don't know what the website for that is. I just typed in Hall of Fame tracker, and then it took me to his website. So uh, you can do that if you want to follow along. But uh, he has Schilling currently on pace to get into the Hall of Fame by a hair because he's getting 75.3% of the vote, of the known votes uh, currently uh, you know, out there right now. That said, only 40.9 of the ballots so far are quote-unquote known ballots, leaving nearly 60% of the vote left to be counted. And if I know one thing about Kurt Schilling, it's that he is shouting, stop the vote. I know that for a fact, and it could be for one of two things. <laughs> I also want to point out that a few people that should be known uh, to Bay Area sports fans uh, have also put Schilling on their ballots. Uh, former A's beat writer Joe Stiglitz, I did not know that he still had a vote. What's he up to these days? I don't know. He voted for Kurt Schilling and Roger Clemens, so I'm definitely not a fan of that ballot because uh, Roger Clemens also, meh. But I do still like Joe Stiglitz. I, I talked to him once in the in the A's uh, clubhouse, and he was very nice. We, we had a good chat and whatnot, so he seems like a good guy. But uh, weird, weird ballots. Then there's uh, Tim Kawakami, 
you're probably blocked by him on Twitter. But uh, the guy at the top of the mountain, he is the guy at the top of the mountain uh, for the Athletics Bay Area branch. And he also voted for Kurt Schilling, which he has done in the past. But he also took Omar Vizquel off of his ballot following the domestic abuse allegations against Omar Vizquel. So I'm a little bit confused by the logic where domestic abuse bad, but the everything about Kurt Schilling is fine, I guess. Uh, very strange. And uh, according to Ryan Thibodeau's Hall of Fame tracker, Kawakami will be giving up his vote after this uh, balloting. So this is his final ballot as a member of the Baseball Writers Association of America. So that's uh, that's fun. Uh, the last local name to include here, uh, and, you know, Schilling, is uh, Janie McCauley. Um, I don't I, I don't really read her work a lot, but I've seen her in uh, Giants Press stuff and sometimes with the A's as well. And uh, she reports for the Bay Area branch of the Associated Press, or AP. And she's usually on the Giants beat. She also swings over to the A's on occasion. And uh, she's kind of like John Shea of the Chronicle. She does that kind of thing, but I think she's more... Yeah, she basically same amount uh, of split between Giants and A's on that one. Um, she also voted for Kurt Schilling. So those are the Bay Area people. And then the other names that I wanted to point out are more nationally recognizable, and that's Ken Rosenthal. Having a great week, Ken. Uh, you got Bob Ryan, who's been on uh, the show before PTI. Uh, around the horn that's the one on espn i think he works for the boston globe i think he's a hall of famer too and then uh, you got john morosi and peter gammons uh also giving Schilling some love i'm, I'm assuming that most of these people are <laughs> definitely asked for their votes to be redone and they could take kurt Schilling off and all that stuff um obviously everyone has their idea of the hall of fame but for me if you're a borderline hall of famer that is as openly terrible as kurt Schilling, then that's disqualifying you don't get into the hall of fame anymore i don't care what you did on the baseball field at that point, uh, you can chalk it up to the character clause because that's a thing that people like to fall back on. And uh, I would be using it a lot in the Kurt Schilling case. Uh, that's how I operate. And it's not, you know, uh, Democrat, Republican. It is. He seems to be just anti not white people at all. And that's what I don't like. Um, yeah, he, he's kind of like in the uh, the same Aubrey Huff realm right there. He have just kind of a crazy crackpot person who uh, likes to make fun of people who don't agree with him because he's a crazy person. And I know that there have been racists inducted into the Hall of Fame, and the common argument is usually something about precedent, like, bad people have made it in before, so uh, that isn't disqualifying. You know, it's fine, and that's why people don't use the character clause when they don't want to or something like that. Uh, it's a fallback plan for people that are like, <laughs> Barry Bonds, character clause, but Kurt Schilling, he's a decent guy. And that's just silly. And also that argument of, you know, letting other bad people in because bad people have been let in before is also just a little bit mind boggling to me because it, it's acting like the Hall of Fame is under uh, operating under some sort of like a legal judicial system uh, where precedent matters. And guess what? It doesn't. It's not binding. You can go off the book if you want to and, uh, you know, do your own thing. You can play some jazz if you want to. It'd be fine. Uh <laughs> for all my jazz heads out there. Um, and there are certainly people that were sympathetic to the Confederacy and the Hall of Fame, uh, given baseball's beginnings not long after the Civil War. And that doesn't mean that it's okay today, though. The point is, times change and ethical behaviors change and rights change. When baseball started, women couldn't vote and segregation was very much in full effect. And uh, I did some math, and the Civil Rights Act 
which ended segregation, wasn't passed until 1964. Baseball has only had 57 years of desegregation, while the game itself is 145 years old. So maybe relying on precedent here shouldn't be the best thing. And, you know, your crux for your arguments and all that stuff. It's, it's stupid. What crosses the character clause should be the determining factor in cases like these. And I'm hoping that that line falls a little bit shy of supporting a literal insurrection against the United States government. But, you know, apparently it doesn't. And all of this said, me not liking Kurt Schilling whatsoever, I am a little bit intrigued to see what happens if Kurt Schilling gets elected to the Hall of Fame. Because I also don't think that the Hall of Fame should just be throwing these votes out and be like, oh, well, something changed in the last two weeks. No, we, we need to change our ballots now. No, 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 no. You knew who he was before this. You got to live with it now because the ballots that have his name on them will become known. And these journalists that have cast their ballots for him will have a lot of questions to answer regarding their votes. And I think that that's something that, you know, if Kurt Schilling gets in the Hall of Fame, I don't really give a fuck. Like, I, I really don't care about the Hall of Fame, and, but I do want, uh, you know, society to be better. And uh, if that means all of these journalists have to answer some fucking questions because they put his name on their ballots, then let's do it. Maybe that'll, uh, you know, open up some eyes and stuff because asking the Hall of Fame to reverse your votes one day and then the following day expressing sadness for Henry Aaron and everything that he had to go through are just very different ideologies. And uh, maybe people need to come to grips with that. If it means shelling getting in, sure, I do not give a damn. And if you're not following me on how these are different ide ideologies, then... Um, Basically, Henry Aaron and his family had to deal with death threats because he was a black man about to break Babe Ruth's home run record, and Kurt Schilling would have been the one sending those threats. That's why these two ideologies are very uh, at odds with one another, and I don't know how you can denounce racism but also vote for a racist. It uh, makes a lot of sense. A borderline Hall of Fame racist. Uh, like, if he was Ty Cobb, obviously, <laughs> you'll let him into the Hall of Fame. That's precedent right there. Um, and it feels like these journalists are just trying to change their ballots because they're more afraid of the repercussions for their votes than electing this literal monster into the Hall of Fame. So if everyone uh, just tried being decent, then the world would probably be a little bit simpler. So to end all of this, I'm just going to say rest in peace, uh, Henry Aaron, and just be be like Henry Aaron. Um, so until next time, you guys stay indoors and celebrate good times. Keep wearing those masks, and I will talk with you guys next week. 